Well, Zach, there's something that I hate. I feel like most of these intros start with something that peeves you. I'm a peeved guy. <laughs> I'm really not. You're a man of many pet peeves. I'm really not. But there is something within the human interaction that I loathe. Just one thing? There's probably many things, but there's one <laughs> thing specifically I want to highlight on this, okay. this time. This is our first Monday podcast of the year, yeah, well, and I figured we'd start yeah. off on the exactly wrong foot. We're <laughs> well, talking about things that we hate. Well, welcome to 2021. Welcome also to my therapy office. Uh, spill your heart. Yeah, that's exactly right. Hopefully you checked out our New Year's episode, a little that's bonus. Right. That's right. A Friday bonus. I, don't, I mean, you don't have to thank I us, mean, but Christmas you're welcome. You're welcome. Christmas can't wait. What can I say? We did not hate that, but there is something I do dislike, okay. and that is... In meetings, right. when someone says something, it's probably like the leader or one of the superior people in the room say something, and then they'll ask their equal or their boss or mm. someone directly under them, someone who has a similar level of power, not just a lowly. But not always. Like similar. me. Yeah. But not always, but a lot of times, a lot yeah. similar. And they'll say something probably pretty profound or give instruction or direction or encouragement. And they'll look to the person that they are about to ask, hey, do you have anything to add to that? And then my least favorite thing is when they go, no, I would just say, and then add. Mm. Because they just said no. <laughs> Zach, no. If you're going to say no, it means no. Don't keep going. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, and I also think it immediately just betafies to them. Yes. Like the alpha says something that, you know, they might have been thinking, but it was profound. It was good. But then you say, no, but I would just say, and you're just like, you're the beta in this meeting. You <laughs> are no deal. longer I don't the alpha. Think it, I don't, there are people that I know that might even hear me say this and they know that they do this. And yeah. that's okay. Yeah, like fine. it's not like it, they're not a bad person, right. but it's just, it's just a sharpening point. Uh, again, I'm, we're not mad at you. We're not mad at you. We're it's not as bad mad as your Christmas lights only covering your poles. <laughs> All right. Do so you mean the trunks? Of no, I meant poles. You know, the daggone pole farms. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. That I won't get as hot about this one as I did about that, but yeah, that was it's hard. just, when someone says something profound, I think the most I think a power move is say no. I think that's great. Then yeah. Like, Dang, they are secure in their leadership. Truly, and yeah, <laughs> and it's also like, do you lose trust in that person because you literally just lied to me? I know. Like, I know. You said no, but then you did have something to add. I just just I, remove the word I no. I expect it from some, and it it just it doesn't doesn't really grind my gears as much as I saying. It's just I think it's funny. Yeah. Similarly, I think what's hard for me in meetings is whenever someone similar similar situation yeah. they say something profound they say something that pretty much everyone was thinking right. and everyone knows that everyone is thinking what you're saying yeah. and then they're like do you have anything to add and you say you might say no i would just but they say yeah i would just piggyback or i would just echo mm. and I'm like hey we are those some true words what's going echo. on in your mind oh. does your brain explode when you hear yeah. i would just piggyback or you just because I'm not sitting – I don't want to sit in an echo chamber. I want everyone to say their own thoughts. Yeah, and like, if you like, said it, that's the only time it needs to be said. It's like the Grinch yeah. when he's just <laughs> yelling up into the, into the room. Oh, that's really mature saying exactly what I can. I'm an idiot. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. And see, well, yes, because it's like I – it doesn't need to be reset. Right. This meeting does not need to last longer because you said exactly what he said. Right. It's just, you know? it's let, let go of your need to make yourself known in meetings. Yeah. Security in your leadership, right. we could That's say, right. is mean, just saying, yes, you are right. I agree with what you that, said. There's no interview today, folks. It's just, it's just <laughs> this nugget of truth from Zach and I. You're so welcome. Yeah, and that's all. Yeah. 
Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, and Cooper, would you have anything you'd like to add? Uh, I would like to add something, <laughs> and that is that this music, I just... It gets me every time. It's a little groovy. It's a good tune. We want to shout out Junior State for approving us and letting us use their music. DM'd him on Instagram. That's right. Twice. And then finally he just sent approved. Hey. But we got we got the <laughs> so we needed. Us use their music, so thank you. But also, there is an episode today, guys. That's right. Well, that and was a bonus nugget. I sent an email and I got the word approved, and I got an interview with mm. Mrs. Brandon Gibson. Okay. Uh, she okay. So how I found her? I found her on LinkedIn. Okay. And you know, under your LinkedIn name, I have Zach Funderburk, and then I have something like about the my job, my job yeah, yeah. title. Just J O B. My J O B till I D. No, I probably won't. I'll probably get a new job by then. But anyway, so I, I find her name. It says Brandon Gibson. And under it, it says chief operating officer at state of Tennessee. That, oh, and I was like, hold on. Did you, so, did you tell her that she's the only 10 you see? <laughs> I did not That's say that. Probably a good call. She is a married probably, woman probably would have been kiddos. Anyway, I said, <laughs> how are you just the COO of a CEO. state? This is chief operating officer, oh, okay. COO of a state. What, what does that mean? Yeah. And so I wanted to know more. Pretty much she works in the governor's office of, of, of Tennessee, Governor Bill Lee. So gotcha. he would, I guess, be the CEO okay. to her COO okay. of the state so of is, Tennessee. Is he, he's the only 10. You, no, he, okay. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> we're going to leave that joke in 2020. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We'll move on. Yes. Anyway, so she is the chief operating officer of the state of Tennessee. And truly, Bill Lee and the, his team there have done a lot of great things in their time. But I also started stumbled upon a TED talk she gave two mm-hmm. years ago at a high school there in Tennessee as well. And so I, I listened to it and I watched it and it was so good. I was like, I've got to reach out to her and yeah. see if she would talk about these principles. And, it, and she talks about the fact that life takes developing. Mm-hmm. And she had uh, these cameras and on a table and she starts explaining to these young kiddos who don't understand what kind of a film camera was. Right. So she takes a picture on the film. She says, I immediately, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if my eyes were closed. I right. don't know if my hair was done right because I have she to go get it. She's the only 10 you see. <laughs> she doesn't know. But she will know when she gets the picture back in a few weeks right. after that film has been developed because we are so used to taking a picture and knowing exactly what it looks like. We can retake it if we need to. Right. And we don't have that idea of delayed gratification. Yeah. And in the same in life and the same in our career and the same in our leadership, we want it now. I want yeah. everything now. But truly, life and leadership and career aspirations take development. When you learn to Trust the process. Trust the process. I mean, come on. And, and as you grow and as you learn, you will be entrusted with more. And if you're faithful with little, you're faithful with much. That and that familiar. takes time. That sounds familiar. It's biblical. I it's mean, biblical. Hey, it's the good book. It is the good book. So I, I talked to her about this concept and really what that looked like for her because she's had a lot of experiences, where whether it's the Tennessee Court of Appeals and whether it's even going to law school and then finally working at a, a high office in the governor's uh, mansion, I yep. guess, in the governor's office, and how it takes time to get there. Mm. And so I think we see that in our own lives as For well, sure. just through college. And, and I mean, a couple we're, of young guns. We're just low on the, the tree farm poles That's here. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, but it was a really insightful interview.
interview. And it's very encouraging for young leaders who find themselves like us to be rather ambitious. Yeah. And like, we have big goals, we have big dreams, but you can't have it all now. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the Backstreet Boys that like, you can't have it your way. I want it that way. I want it that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm in with the culture, Man, as you know. Man, just, he, okay, boomer. Swing and a miss. Well, I guess it'd be the opposite. We're going to swing this on to Brandon and let her finish it out for that us. Sounds good to me. <laughs> well, without further ado, here she is, Brandon Gibson. Well, Brandon, after just a few technical difficulties, we're, we're on. I can see you and I can hear you and I'm excited to have you on. Uh, first, I want you to start by introducing yourself. Who are you? How did you get to where you are today? Well, thanks for having me today. It's an honor to be able to join you and, uh, and talk a little and share a little bit about, about my life and my uh, winding road. Um, so I'm a native of, of rural West Tennessee. Grew up on a family farm. I was the fifth generation to grow up on that family farm. And I uh, lived literally right across the pond bank from my grandparents, which was a great experience as a child. And I sort of had the, the run of the farm, which was great during the spring, summer, and fall. It was not so much fun when my dad said it was time to go feed the cattle in the in the bitter cold of winter. Right. But, uh, but it was a great childhood. So... Where, how I got to where I am right now, um, that's probably longer than you have in, in a podcast. But and we'll get would, to it a little bit later in, in our conversation as well. Sure. But I would say it's a winding road. And where you think you're ultimately going to wind up often is uh, nowhere close to where you actually do. So I went to law school at Southern Methodist in Dallas. And I then practiced law for a year in Texas and decided to move back home uh, a little closer to family. So came back to, to West Tennessee to practice law, practice law for about 13 years before uh, then Governor Bill Haslam appointed me to the Tennessee Court of Appeals, which is a little different than what you have in Texas. But um, uh, he appointed me to the Court of Appeals where I served for a few years before being asked by current Governor Bill Lee if I would come work with him in Nashville. And uh, after much prayer and thought and consideration, decided that my public service journey would probably take me to the Capitol. And so here I am. Well, look at you. I love it. And you did come to Texas for a little while. And I'm assuming you, nothing against Texas. It's just going back to be home. Is that right? Well, when you get out of law school and you realize that you're about to spend the next few decades practicing law and hopefully raising a family, you realize that you really need that support network around you. Mm -hmm. So uh, my parents and my in-laws and everybody associated with our family, except for an aunt and uncle who lived in Texas, everybody else lived in Tennessee. So uh, it was just necessary and probably the best, the best option to go home and have our daughter raised around her family and be able to care for uh, aging family members and, um, and ill family members. So that, that was the, the best decision and the right decision. Well, there's no hard feelings, and it's all because it was a part of your winding road that led you back to Tennessee, and you probably wouldn't be where you are today if you had stayed in Texas. But I want to talk about that winding road. You gave a TED Talk just a couple years ago about this idea of life is developing, and it's a process. It is this winding road, and you got to use your story as a part of it. But you used an analogy in there of, of different cameras, kind of the film cameras of back in the day, and then the digital cameras, or even the cameras on our phones that were used today. So you can, can you just start by just laying out that, uh, that kind of metaphor for us? 
Sure, absolutely. So on a digital camera or a camera that's on your telephone now, you can take multiple photos until you can take 100 photos until you get it just right. My dad is a, a amateur photographer. I remember as a kid, multiple rolls of film uh, around our house. And when he when he moved to digital, he kept saying, hey, digital's cheap. It's only pixels. You don't have to develop it. You don't have to pay to develop it. Obviously, you have to pay to print them, but you can take a hundred photos until you get just the exact right photo. And even more complicated with a digital photo, you can then go in and uh, manually manipulate the photograph to make it look like what you wish it looked like. Uh, and, and social media certainly highlights that uh, in our society today. But back in the old days, when I was a, a kid and a young adult, we didn't have that instantaneous digital picture. Instead, you had to take a picture and uh, roll the film back and put it in a box and send it off to get it developed or take it to a drugstore and get it developed there. Uh, and so it required some type of process. Then Polaroid cameras came along, and they were fairly instantaneous, but not exactly, and right. film was pretty expensive, um, but you still had to wait. There still was a process, and so when you think about how that has changed over the years, you realize that maybe we've lost a little bit in understanding that there's a process. Sometimes there are a few chemical reactions that are necessary in order for us uh, to really fully develop the, the photographs of our life. Um, and I, I just think it's a good analogy for the value of waiting and the value of recognizing that sometimes there has to be a little bit of a chemical reaction in order for the, the pieces of your life to fall together. So how would that analogy necessarily apply to your life? Where, where do you see kind of that development of the, the negative charges or the pressure on a picture applying to your story? Great question. So um, in a Polaroid photograph, it, it takes sort of a negative, a, an opposite photograph of, of the image. And there's a chemical reaction that happens. And there's a, there's a, a pressure on some roller balls that runs the, the film and that chemical reagent through the roller balls to apply that pressure. And that's where, when you get the actual photograph. Of course, in a, in a typical film camera, you have the, the negatives that are actually in the camera, and then there's some chemical reagents, and they're hung, and, and it, so it, it requires some type of agent of change, and um, the way I would kind of analogize this to my life is that there have been a lot of negatives that have happened along the way. Some of them are not so terrible in the grand scheme of things. I've been blessed to not have, um, you know, terrible loss in my family. I've, I grew up with two devoted parents and um, a, a moderately annoying big brother uh, who probably is one of those pressure points in my life. But when you don't get what you think you should get, uh, it's necessary to sort of analyze that, that negative and determine whether there ought to be some type of chemical reagent, actually, that's just a, a mind shift on, on your part. Um, and then the patience that it takes to actually watch the whole picture develop. Mm -hmm. So I've had a couple of instances in my life where I 
applied for a program or applied for a job and didn't receive it. And I thought it was the worst thing in the world at the time, or I got a little mad about it. Mm. But when you kind of step back and look at why you didn't get something or why something didn't go the way you thought it should, that's an opportunity for you to apply some type of agent of change and, and maybe zig and zag on that winding road a little bit. Right. It's also an opportunity for you to have some people in your life who can apply some pressure to help redirect you and uh, hopefully in love to understand that uh, what you were going for maybe wasn't the best thing for you or to help you redirect a little bit. Yeah. You mentioned a lot in there, the mindset or a mindset shift. Once ever you realize you've, you've approached a negative and then you have to look and say, there's a mindset shift here and we can change directions if we choose. And you mentioned in the, the Ted talk, a story about the, was it a, in high school, you had a, a, a coach for uh, what's it called? What, uh, what team mock was that? Trial. Mock, trial. mock trial team? Yes. And, and they told that that coach told you something that really stuck with you that stopped you from a lot of things in the future until you had this mindset switch. So can you kind of explain that as well? Absolutely. So uh, my, my high school had a mock trial team and I was never exactly an athletic person, <laughs> still am not a terribly athletic person. Uh, so I, I competed on the mock trial team, really, really loved it. We, my age group started the team and, um, we were having a, a team meeting preparing for our competition and our uh, coach looked at me and said, you're not good enough to be a lawyer, which at the time my teenage brain heard, you're not good enough to ever be a lawyer. That's not what he was actually saying. I, I, with perspective, I can understand that, but it felt like at the time he was saying I wasn't good enough to, to be a lawyer ever. So I was a witness in the whole play, essentially, that is a mock trial competition. And um, kind of that kind of got stuck in my head that I wasn't capable enough to be a lawyer. So when I, and I worked in a law firm when I was in high school, when I went to college, um, I, I majored in ag, in ag business because agriculture was something that ha, had been around my life, uh, my, my entire life. And um, never really thought about going to law school because I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I was capable of being a lawyer. And when I finished my, 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 my master's degree in ag business management, my mother just kept saying, Brandon, I really think you need to go to law school. Really still felt like it was not, um, not something I could possibly do, but she applied a, a good bit of motherly pressure. Yeah. And uh, so I took the LSAT and decided I would give it a try and to, to see if maybe that was my, my life calling. And um, she, as most mothers are, was right. As a mom, I get to say that. Moms are always right. That's right. I've learned. And, um, and so I went to law school and it turns out I could be a lawyer. And so the advice or the, the word that the mock trial coach had given me that I couldn't be a lawyer really was not true. Um, but that negativity stuck in my brain until I had some, some level of pressure applied to me. And that was through my mom. So um, you, you just have to take that negativity and figure out a way to, to change and to adjust. And frankly, to do things that you don't think that you're capable of doing, uh, no matter who says it. 
Right. And doing hard things. And I think another little lesson in there, too, is the power of words and that, I mean, encouraging words and negative words both stick with people. But if you if the negative words really stop people from what they could be and, and stop people from from taking that road, I, I want to ask a, on that similar train of rejection. It, rejection is hard. And I think everyone listening to this and both of us on the screen have dealt with rejection, whether from people or, or from different things. But how do we deal with that? Because in the moment, you have a choice to how you're going to respond or where you're going to go. But how do we deal with rejection and then choose the path that we know is right or where we want to go, even in the face of rejection? How do we, how do we face that? So, I'm going to say something that uh, my 20 year old self probably would find pretty profound or, or dumb maybe right. but re- rejection's a gift. Mm. Um, so I'll even give you an added rejection when uh, that I, I didn't share in the Ted talk when I was applying to law schools, the place I wanted to go to law school was UT Austin. Mm. I wanted to go there so badly. I was convinced I'd get in and I didn't. Mm. So I wound up going to SMU, which was a wonderful experience. And frankly, I can't imagine having gone anywhere else. Um, but then on into my career, I had applied for this leadership program and I thought I did a really good job on my application. I was from an area of the state that didn't have a ton of representation in this leadership program. And I knew that was important to them. So to be perfectly honest, I was pretty bold and thought I would was a shoe in. Right. And then I get a rejection letter. And um, initially I thought, well, they don't, they don't want me. I'm never trying that again. But then with a little bit of time and a little bit of perspective, I realized, okay, look, maybe I should look at my application and I should look at the things that the other people who got into the leadership program have done. And I realized something really important. I realized that I was very one-dimensional. All I did was work. That my entire life consisted of work and then being at home with my husband and child. And that was a, a startling reality for me. But it caused me to make some changes in my life. And it caused me to realize that I needed to become more involved in my community I needed to give back in in new and different ways. And I needed to really become more engaged than than I had been. And through that engagement, not only was my life richer and better, but about five years later, I decided to apply again for that leadership program and got in, which was one of the best professional experiences of my life. Had I done it five years prior, I don't think things would have turned out the way that they have. Hmm. So I think what's important is when the, when you are rejected, that you sort of stop and look critically, not with emotion, but critically at what caused the rejection. Uh, sometimes it takes a tough look in the mirror. And sometimes it's something that you could change. Sometimes it's things that you can't change, that things that are completely out of your control. But I think you have to stop and look critically and do a self-examination, learn from it, and move on. Mm-hmm. You cannot, as we would say in West Tennessee, wallow in it. That's right. You, can, you just can't wallow in it. You do have to learn from every experience and move on with your life or your career. 
It's so important. It takes one to look in the mirror and to be able to think critically. And, and that is hard. It's hard to do. But I think it also takes other people looking into your life objectively and saying, this is what needs to happen. So how do you find people who you can surround yourself with that are going to tell you what you need to hear, but not always just what you want to hear or makes you feel good? How do you discern who to, who to surround yourself with in that way? Great question. Um, so I call them now my blind spot team. There you go. Uh, it's a group of people who see the things that I might not see and who have committed to me and I've committed to them that they will always tell me the truth, even when it might sting a little bit. Mm. Um, but here's the thing I would really encourage uh, folks of your generation to think through, and that is that relationships really matter. So relationships don't look like um, friends on social media. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it requires a lot more work than uh, double tapping a few pictures or giving a, a like or a comment on a Facebook post. Um, so I, I, I've worked really hard at developing true and honest relationships with people. That started when I was in high school. I talk about in the TED Talk going to work for a law firm in, in my hometown and um, those folks really made an impact on me, and I continued those relationships. After I graduated from high school, when I would come home on the, on the weekends, or really more uh, when I would come home for Christmas, I would make a point to go by the law firm and visit with those folks just to let them know what was happening in my life, find out what was happening in theirs. When I decided to go to law school, I continued to do the same thing. When I came home for Christmas, I would go visit them talk about what it was like to be in law school. They loved that because it had been maybe a few decades. Yeah. Um, but as you progress through life, having those relationships that are real and honest and not intended for you to gain anything from them except perspective and feedback. Um, so developing relationships with people of all different ages and making sure you're investing wisely in those relationships is what helps um, you develop that blind spot team where you yeah. can, you can have folks that, that speak into your life and help guide you along the way. And it's also just knowing that that blind spot team has your best interest in mind and that they do truly love you and that they're going to say something to you. Sometimes that might hurt for the purpose of moving you forward on the winding road. And you talk about that winding road a lot, how it's constantly shifting and changing, but sometimes you have to wait and sometimes you have to, to wait for the next place to, for you to go or where you're called. But I feel like there's three responses to rejection that even you, I think you mentioned in the TED Talk, is that you might have to change something, whether it's about yourself or your circumstance, you might have to change your direction, where you're going, or you might have to just wait. So either change yourself, change something about you or where you're going or, or waiting. How do you discern between those that what this is what this time is for? I, I've faced this rejection. What do I do now? Do I wait for the next time? Do I change the trajectory of where I'm going? Or do I need to look in the mirror and change something about myself? I think that's really... Um it's hard to do, yeah. uh, but I think it's something that you uh, figure out with a little bit of practice, unfortunately. Mm. Um, I, I think when you decide to change something about yourself, uh, you, you change something about yourself when you know that the thing that you're going to get is something that you really want, something you've applied yourself for and you know that you really want it. But you have to be bold enough to do that self-reflection 
and make sure that the way you're presenting yourself objectively would get you what you want. And if not, you got to change something. So that was like my, my leadership uh, program. It, it was necessary for me to look myself in the mirror and recognize that I was very one dimensional. And um, so change something and invest and do it for the right reasons. Uh, sometimes you do have to change direction. And I would say there, when you've tried something and tried something and tried something and it's really not working out and you've, you've changed what you can change. Um, I, I think then you really, that's when you need that blind spot team to know and help you discern, do I continue down this path or do I need to, to change direction and go for something else? And that blind spot team is really, really important in that context. And then just waiting. So the first time I applied for the Court of Appeals, it's a great experience, um, but I wasn't the pick. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was another spot that came open. And so it's, it, it was difficult to decide that I was going to put myself out there yet again. But, um, but if I, I just waited and uh, by waiting another spot open, there was another opportunity. I had learned some really important things along the way with the process the first time. And that waiting made the success all the better. So we do tend to live a little bit in what I call the microwave generation where we want things immediately. Um, and really, and tr- I love analogies in case you can't tell, but uh, really and truly, we live in a little bit more uh, like a crock pot. Sometimes you just have to let things simmer a little bit before they work out. I love that. Life is like a like a crock pot. I love that. Does it help for you to kind of zoom out and see the big picture? And because I, I know it's so hard. And for me in my life, whenever I, I have something I'm, I'm going for, or and it's right in front of me, that it's hard for me to kind of zoom out and see the big map of the picture, see where I've come from to get me to where I am. And then I don't necessarily know where I'm going, but I know that there's a bigger picture of where I am. Is that helpful for you? It is. It's really important. And I, I also would say that it's really important in your relationships to make sure you're seeing the big picture, putting yourself in someone else's shoes to understand uh, where they're coming from is important. But knowing that in the grand scheme of things, some things matter and some things really don't. And um, again, it's that microwave concept. If you are, If you think you have to have everything right now, it's really, really hard for you to zoom out and see this big picture. Oh. And I've gotten a lot of practice at that. And the, the role I'm in now in the governor's office, it requires me every single day to zoom out and see the big picture of how issues impact 40,000 state employees or 23 state departments, um, more so than how it impacts a very small um a very small subset. It's just so important to make sure you have the right perspective. Perspective is everything. And we're so not keen on delayed gratification. And it's going back to that picture is that we have the phone that takes the picture and that we're able to retake the picture to get it right how we want. But in life and in reality, that's not how it is, that it's going to be a winding road that's going to get you to where ultimately you want to go. And it may not be where you feel like you want to go in the moment, but in the end, it's always better. I think that's such an amazing analogy. Thank you for sharing that with us. I want to end by just asking you the question we love asking all of our leaders. So what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? It wasn't that long ago, I know, but but what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? 
I don't mind admitting that that was 25 years ago. (laughs) That's an entire lifetime. Um, There are a couple of things that I would, that I would tell my 20 year old self. Number one is take risks. Uh, When you have the opportunity to jump, jump. Uh, The other thing is not to take yourself too seriously. I took myself really seriously as a college student and a law student and then on into to legal practice. I probably should have had a little bit more fun. Um, maybe that's not a problem most of your listeners have a problem with, but uh, I should have, uh, I should have uh, not taken myself quite so seriously. And then the last piece of advice would be something that uh, I, I have done, but it took me a while. And that is to really, really invest in those relationships with people. Uh, people matter and humans love nothing more than helping other humans. And you have to help people around you, but you also need to make sure you're investing in relationships with others. Mm, that's amazing advice. Take risks. Don't take yourself too seriously and invest in relationships and, and build that blind spot team. But Brandon, thank you so much for your wisdom and your time. It means more than you know. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. 